this morning, as we begin the liturgy of the word, this is really kind of a, a sermon in itself. Um, so half of our sermon time is entering into the story of the passion. Um, I'd like to invite Jake, come on up if you would. I want to introduce Jake. Um, in the first service, I, I referred to that being the first half of the sermon and this being the second half of the sermon. Uh, and then I realized, Jake, you preached a full sermon in the first service. In heart and substance, it is a shorter kind of message, but it really it really uh, ministered to me what you had to say. And I want to introduce uh, Jake to those of you who don't know him. Father Jake is a, is a priest of the Anglican Church of North America and a leader in our denomination. He leads something called the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. And that is our denomination's efforts internationally to be right there on the like ground level where there is disaster and relief is needed, or to work with our partners, our Anglican partners around the world, to do development work in communities, villages, cities, to, to contribute in some way to breaking the cycles of poverty. And uh, so Father Jake's been here this weekend with some of his team, and um, we had kind of a gathering of a few people last night in Matthew 25, which you're familiar with, kind of being the domestic, the national arm, doing the same kind of work that ARDF is doing internationally, um, and I had a joint kind of evening together, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about Anglican Relief and Development uh, before we get back into this Palm Sunday text, but I'd like, to, I'd like to pray for you before we get into that. Jesus, thank you for Father Jake. Thank you for his word this morning that leads us uh, into that Palm Sunday and what it's, what it's really about, and ultimately our eyes leads us to, to fix our eyes upon you and the kind of Savior, the kind of King that you are. So would you fill him with your spirit, speak through him? Would you fill us with your spirit and open our hearts that they would be soft and ready to receive the word that you want to put into us? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm so happy to be with you here today, Christ Church. I was actually here two Palm Sundays ago. Uh, and uh, I just think we should just let's just make this a tradition. I'll just come every Palm Sunday because I like preaching half a sermon. It's um, it's great. Uh, but I, I was born and raised in Kentucky. I've lived in Tennessee for the last few years. So the part of that liturgy that I identified most that said Peter's accent gave him away. Um, so hopefully you can understand my southern drawl. But I am truly excited to be with you. And uh, I told the first service I told. Father Cliff this morning. This is a really special place. Um, so if you come every Sunday and maybe you, you, you get used to the rhythm, just know that uh, th this is a really special place here at Christ Church, and it's really meaningful, and it's a beautiful thing that's happening. So just to encourage you all, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So thanks to Cliff and Christine and the vestry and staff for letting me be here. Uh, and I have two jobs. Uh, I'm going to tell a little bit about ARDF. A lot of you have already partnered with us, and we're so grateful so I don't have to go into a long explanation because so many of you know who we are. And then I want to talk about this story, the triumphal entry. So we are ARDF, the Anglican Relief and Development Fund, long name. Uh, and our mission is to come alongside local churches around the world to help them better reach the needs of their communities. So we say to these local churches, you dream a dream of how you want to reach your community and maybe we can help come along and resource that dream. And as our name indicates, we do this in two primary ways, international development and domestic disaster response. 
Um, on the development side, we have a beautiful model of project implementation we're really proud of. Every project is approved by international church leaders. We don't go tell them what we think they need. We listen, and they approve projects uh, implemented by all local leadership and monitored and evaluated by a third-party research company. Um, every project allows a struggling church somewhere in the world to implement their vision, to reach the needs of their community, to expand the kingdom of Christ. And it's awesome and a blast that we get to do this. As an example, last November, our global council approved nine new projects. So just last week in Madagascar, we broke ground for a girls' school. Not the movie, Madagascar, like the place. Uh, we broke ground for a girls' school. Uh, we also, uh, two weeks ago, we dedicated a building in Pokhara, Nepal, that's going to be a kindergarten for Christian education in a part of the world that desperately needs Christian education. Uh, we have a, a health clinic that's going to break ground in the next month in Uganda, in, the, in Sabe, Uganda, a hard mountainous region. Before this health clinic, the closest one would have been 150 kilometers away. And then we're adding an addition to a school in Egypt, and this addition will be to help families with kids with special needs there in Egypt. And then there's four other projects, and a lot more historically. But can you imagine, after these, just these nine projects are implemented, the difference this is going to make in these communities, and this is what we get to do together every year. We now have 70 projects that have been applied for for this year, and we have the hard job of narrowing those down. But we're trying to scale so we can do more and more projects around the world. And on the relief side, on international relief projects, we work with trusted partners. So the big two lately have been Ukraine and T Syria, Turkey, earthquake. And your church on both of those has been very gracious and helped us. Thank you. Um, and so we help get funds quickly to the ground to the local church so they can meet the needs of their community. Um, and then domestically, we've launched our own domestic disaster response task force. We have a huge dream that one day there'll be Anglicans all over America who will respond after disaster hits and help that local church, wherever that church is in the midst of the disaster zone, respond effectively to the needs of their community. Uh, and we're looking for a representative from every Anglican church to be the dom domestic disaster response coordinator. So if you want to raise your hand. <laughs> what are you laughing? No, just kidding. So that's, that's enough about ARDF. Uh, there's two staff members with me. I think they're in the room, Kel Kelly and Christine. Wait, stand up, y'all, just so people see you uh, after service. If you want to talk to any of us, please do. So let's now move to our homily, and I promise it's going to be short. Um, but first, will you pray with me? Oh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as you're well aware, today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday where we remember Jesus' triumphal entry. And I think that that's an interesting thing to think about, the triumphal entry. It's a fascinating title for those of us who are believers in the room. And, and if you're not a believer, you're so welcome. I'm so glad you're here and in the room with us. But for those who are believers in the room, we believe this is the epitome of paradox. So paradox is defined as something that seems absurd at first, but once investigated proves to be well-founded. And triumphal is defined as celebrating a significant or noteworthy victory or success. So when you think of triumphal entry, let's do an imaginative exercise. If, I had, if, if you were coming today and you knew nothing about this story, you didn't know anything about Palm Sunday, and all somebody told you was, I want you to come hear a story about a triumphal entry. 
What would you imagine? What would you think that you were coming to hear? And then when you experience this story, there are certain things that definitely would be what you were expecting. And there's some things that would not align. For instance, you would, the palm branches would be, if you, if you understood, you know, God's history of the is, people of Israel, palm branches were very significant. So it makes sense that uh, after a great victory, palm branches would be waved. And then throwing garments on the ground in front of the feet of the victorious leader, you're showing deference to that leader, and, and the war horses can walk over the garments instead of touching the land, would be expected. The shouting of victory and claiming success and, and cheering on your leader would have been expected. But there's definitely two things for sure that would not align with your expectations, and it's the bookends of, these, of this story. The donkey and the death. Two parts of this story that I think you would be scratching your head. What's up with the donkey and what's up with the death? Because it sounds foolish. It's topsy-turvy from what you would expect. It's disorienting. And, and I love this demonstration of the foolish things of the world confounding the wise, of death resulting in life, of darkness and confusion breaking through, breaking through into resurrection clarity. What a paradox. Jesus understanding how to properly wield his unlimited power, choosing a donkey instead of a warhorse. At first, that seems absurd, but after further investigation, it proves to be well-founded. And we realize the power of this act, the power of humility, the desire that Jesus has to serve others, to lower himself, to identify with those on the underside of power. In a similar way, the, the, at first, the proposition of triumph through death seems absurd. But after further investigation, we see the resurrection. We understand that Jesus became the victor by overthrowing the enemy of the world and brought about a new exodus and a whole new way of relating to God. It makes sense as we experience Christ in the darkness of our own tragedies, in the dark night of the soul, when we have our sense of struggle, we start to understand, oh, Jesus identifies with me in this moment of death, and I can always hope for continued resurrection. Mm, I grew up Pentecostal, so don't, let, don't get me started. <laughs> if anybody says amen out loud, you don't know what's going to happen in here. <laughs> I love the leadership of Jesus because it reframes I think in a very needed way what it means to carry authority and to wield power. Leading in a way that is powerful but humble. Is authoritative but authentic. This unique balance is so inspiring. One of the things I love about my job is that I get to spend so much time with global leaders or U.S. practitioners in partnership with Christine Warner and Matthew 25 Initiative who spend a lot of time with people on the margins, with people who are extremely vulnerable. And what I get inspired by is that they understand this kind of leadership. People in desperately vulnerable situations need a leader who has power but knows how to wield it. Has the confidence but, but carries that confidence in a way that the Bible says won't bruise the, the won't bury the smoldering wick or, or harm the bruised reed. 
It's in those contexts that we see the the paradox of, of death and donkey leadership become very vivid. There's a parable made famous by the 19th century philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. It's been widely circulated, and you may have heard this before. It's, it's, uh, it's alluding to the Song of Solomon, to King Solomon, who had fallen in love with a, a Shyamite woman. And Soren wrote this. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. This king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against this king, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet his, this mighty king was melted by love from a humble maiden. He could, he, he could, how could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his very kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body with royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly love him? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life that she had left behind? Would she be happy at his side? And how would he ever know? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was king and she a humble maiden and let the shared love cross that gulf between them. For it's only in love that an unequal can be made equal. The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend. He clothed himself as a beggar and approached her cottage incognito, with a worn cloak fluttering loosely about him. And it was no mere disguise, but a new identity. He renounced the throne to win her hand. Mm, 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 amen. <laughs> What a powerful image of Christ's descent into Jerusalem, of donkey leadership and death that results in life. His deep love for us and desire to win the hand of common people like us explains this paradox. So Christ Church, may you take comfort today and be challenged. Take comfort if you're in a season of loneliness or brokenness or confusion or darkness and know that Christ is present. He may be disguised. He may be incognito. You might not recognize him because he's on a donkey. You might not recognize him because it feels like a season of death. But I want you to know that he is here and he is with you. Take comfort. And second, be challenged. Be challenged today to think about the way that you demonstrate your leadership. May it always be tempered with humility and service and a deep love for others. May we all be more comfortable on donkeys than war horses. And may we all understand that triumph looks totally different for different people. And lastly, may we all realize that this paradoxical life in Christ 
the one that initially, initially seems absurd, that once investigated is very well-founded. And may we fall head over heels in love with our majestic, donkey-riding, death-conquering king that's here with us today. Thank you. Amen. And amen. I had a pastor, and I don't know what this meant, but when I was 16 and preached my ser first sermon, he yelled out, Oh boy, you're walking down Sally's Alley now. Still don't know what that meant, but I, I think it was a compliment. <laughs> amen. It's so good to be with you today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.